Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Warning! Self-destruct sequence has initiated. All personnel, please exit immediately. RFM, yes. Sh shit got crazy in Washington, D.C. today, didn't it? It's getting kind of sporty over there in the nation's capital. Oh, my goodness. I thought that the North and South were going to go at it again, and I thought that we were going to have to – I don't know. I don't know what we were going to have to do, but I, I was going to come to your bunker and hide out with you. I know. I, uh, we've got some rioters outside, but I have a security detail at the door that I think is more than up to the task. Well, good, good. Glad to hear it. So here we are again, another episode of Mormonism Live, everybody. We're grateful that you're here. There's already 56 people in that 40 seconds that have joined in. Um, we'll get to some comments here in a little bit, too, putting those up on the screen. But tonight, we're going to talk about the handbook changes. And I'm excited. We put a whole list of them. Um, I've got them all up on my screen, ready to rock and roll. And your thoughts before we jump in, maybe on just uh, you and I getting together again or on uh, the introduction to the topic of the handbook. I think it is great to be together again with you, Bill Real. I cannot tell you, seriously for a second, I cannot tell you the number of people who have contacted me personally and said that they are so happy to have you back on the Mormon scene talking about things related to Mormonism. You have been missed, my friend. I, I uh, got burned out and essentially moved on to doing the Almost Awakened podcast so I wouldn't have to talk about Mormonism anymore because there are parts about Mormonism that just make you sad and frustrated and angry. And so uh, this, uh, you and I got together and I said, hey, what about a live show? What do you think? And you said, let's, let's do it. Let's try. That sounds fun. And so we, we gave this a shot. It's, it's working out really well. And I'm having a blast doing it. It's giving me a chance to laugh. Uh, you're entertaining me. The audience is entertaining me, and I hope I'm entertaining you guys as well. So um, I'm excited to be doing uh, Mormonism Live, and I hope that this has some long-term viability to it. I hope so, too. So you picked the subject for tonight's podcast. Yeah. And that the was the handbook. Yeah, the handbook changes. So recently, the LDS Church made some addendums, uh, additions, uh, alterations to the handbook. And you and I, I created a list of what I could tell what those were based on what all the news coverage was of them, sent you on a list of each of those, and thought we would jump into that tonight. Um, and I guess we'll start. The, the very first one um, is this idea of energy healing. And it has to do with this section, and I'll put it up here on the screen here in just a second, but it has to do with this section on people seeking out uh, alternative forms of medicine. And uh, while I'm looking for that, RFM, any thoughts uh, on that particular change? Nothing on that particular change. Would you mind if I took a couple of minutes to expatiate on the very existence of the handbook and why I find it problematic? Perfect. Okay, thank you. So let me go to my notes here and go up to the top. The deal with the uh, handbook of instructions is that it is a book that is separate from the scriptures, obviously. It's separate from the teachings of the living prophets, 
I think that's pretty obvious too, even though they incorporate, you know, references to scriptures and places and references to teachings of the living prophets, but it's a separate book. And up until a few years ago, there were two handbooks, right? There was one for the leaders. And I think that was called handbook number one, which was secret. Mm-hmm. Nobody could find out what was in that unless you were in a leadership position. And then there was handbook two, which was for the general members of the church. And since, um, oh, something, gosh, something happened in November. I think it was November 5th of 2015. Remember, remember the 5th of November mm. when they stuck something into that secret manual by the dark of night. And it ended I, up I vaguely reached. remember that. Do I you remember that? Yeah, I, I think I pretty much became um, opposed to the church's direction at that moment, right? November? Mm. November 5th. 5th. November 2015. Absolutely. And up to that point, they could do that kind of thing. And except for somebody, you know, blowing the whistle, it would have been okay, or at least okay for a while, and there still would have been some plausible deniability. We've talked about that previous to this. But since that time, they've decided that discretion is valor's better part. And so they have gotten rid of the two different handbooks. They've assembled them all together. And now that's all available on the internet. Everybody can have access to it. And as part of this, apparently, they've been making these changes. So they thought it would be a good idea. I think it was December 13th uh, or so that the the church came out through the head of the correlation department to announce that they have made some changes in the handbook of instruction. Now, I'll just go on a little bit further, okay? I'm I'm ready if you are, but but you can go on further if you want to. Thank you so much. I'm going to expatiate hey, your bit. You're, you're welcome. Oh, thank you. Oh, hey, by the way, yes. we got a uh, we got a really cool. I got to see if I can find it here. We got a really cool um, review. I, I couldn't tell whose voice this was, but there was somebody uh, who was pretty excited about the new program we're running. Let me see if I can find it. Mormonism live, better than touching your own little factory. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it appeared. I don't know who's. You know what? That that sounded a lot like Boyd K. Packer. That now did. That I think about it. Now that I think about it, I wonder. I wonder if Boyd on the other side of the veil is enjoying Mormonism Live. Well, I guess he's got uh, good streaming over there. <laughs> good streaming, yeah. He got the best streaming in the celestial kingdom, I understand. In the lower kingdoms, the 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 access goes down and down until you're in outer darkness. There's no there's no connection whatsoever. Yeah, you're using old AOL. But back to this handbook. Back to this handbook. He who will not be dissuaded. The thing is this, is that I understand the idea about having a handbook, right? For uh, members of the church, we have a lay ministry and a lay leadership and a lay everything in this church until you get to the higher levels. But everybody needs to know basically the nuts and bolts of how the church is supposed to work and what they're supposed to do and how the meetings go here and all this kind of stuff. I understand that. Although I've got to bracket that over here and say that in the original church, in Doctrine and Covenants section 20, for example, That's the Articles and Covenants of the Church, and that is put there in the Scripture, in the Standard Works, voted upon and sustained by the members of the Church as Scripture, and that's basically what Section 20 is. It's an early version of that. It talks about uh, how many are in which quorum, what the different uh, offices of the priesthood are responsible to do, the method and manner of baptism, the method and manner of the blessing of the sacrament. All those different things are in Section 20, and those are part of the Scripture. Now, I understand also that if we're taking this huge manual and like making it part of the Doctrine and Covenants, that could be unwieldy. But there is precedent for doing this kind of thing and making it scripture, which is then presented to the church. So the church kind of knows what's going on and they get a chance to raise their hand up or down to sustain it. 
But it's not just procedures in this manual. There's a whole lot of doctrine in the manual. And I say manual, I should say the handbook. The handbook. In fact, it announces it at the beginning that it says doctrinal foundation. These chapters present doctrine and principles fundamental to serving in the church. And they explain all these different things about the church. So you'll find all this kind of doctrine in the handbook. And the concern is, is that sometimes this may be used as a way of inserting new doctrine into the handbook, which is perhaps separate in addition to what is found maybe in the scriptures. So backing off of that and coming back to it in a second, the issue that I have with the handbook, I didn't, I never heard of the handbook for years and years until after I was baptized. And then I found out that there was this manual, okay? Um, but the manual has over time assumed a role that is equal to the scriptures and equal to the teachings of the living prophets, which are the two main things that Mormonism talk about as being authoritative. Well, we've got the scriptures, we've got the teachings of the living prophets, and now we've got the handbook. And this is in section 0.4 of the new handbook. It's probably been there before. I don't know that this is a change, but it starts off by saying, when questions arise that are not addressed in the scriptures, the words of the living prophets, or this handbook, Church members should rely on their covenants with God, the counsel of their local leaders, and the inspiration of the Spirit for guidance. So here I see them putting the handbook, it's third in the list, right? But they sneak it in there as on a par with the scriptures and the words of the living prophets. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that. It doesn't come out and say that. But what I find is that as I paid attention to General Conference, more and more over the last few years, especially as I've been doing the... Um, Oh, the general conference breakdowns, the postmortems on general conference. What I've noticed is that increasingly, I think, or maybe I'm just noticing it now, increasingly leaders in general conference, general authorities are citing to and quoting from the handbook in exactly the same way that they quote from scripture, in exactly the same way they quote from teachings of the other leaders of the church. They quote from it authoritatively, as if it were scripture. And we have a few examples of that. One of them is from, and hopefully you've got these listed by name, because the first one I wanted to go to was April 2019 General Conference. Remember those general conferences when people actually used to go to the conference center, Bill? April 2019 General Conference, it's Elder Ballard. It's from his talk, The Pure, True, and Simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is, um, it's not quite two minutes. It's going to seem a lot longer because it's Elder Ballard, but he gives an extended quote. He spends all this time in his talk quoting from the handbook. As What's your timestamp on that, RFM? It's 10.45. Yeah. So the, because I did these in the morning, they, they're up on the screen, but they start back over at the beginning. So I just want to. That's okay. Yeah. So here we are. We'll I figured this out. Put this up on the screen here. And I can play this if you're ready for it. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's I'm here it. to prove my case. Here we go. For years, the leadership purposes of the General Church Handbook and Handbook 2 are outcomes that are clear and simple, from which I quote, leaders, encourage every member to receive all essential priesthood ordinances keep the associated covenants, and qualify for exaltation and eternal life. Adults, 
He's still quoting. Encourage each adult to be worthy to receive the ordinances of the temple. Teach all adults to identify their ancestors and perform vicarious temple ordinances for them. Youth. Still quoting. Help prepare each young man <laughs> to receive the Melchizedek priesthood, to receive the ordinances of the temple, and to be worthy to serve a full-time mission. And still quoting. Help prepare each young woman to be worthy to make and keep sacred covenants and receive the ordinances of the temple. Strengthen youth through participation in meaningful activities. All members help priesthood and auxiliary leaders. He's still quoting. Warden full-time missionaries and members work cooperatively in a balanced effort to rescue individuals, strengthen families, and church units, increase priesthood activity, and gather Israel through conversion, retention, and activation. Teach members to provide for themselves. He's still quoting. Families, and to assist the poor and the needy in the Lord's way. Close quote. Close quote. Right. There's a, the end of the quote. He spends two minutes quoting from the handbook when he is an apostle of Jesus Christ on the face of the earth, speaking in general conference, the most sacred place that an apostle can speak, the most likely to be considered scripture by the members of the church. And what does he do? He quotes from the handbook authoritatively. Now that one is interesting because number one, it's quite recent. And also because it's Elder Ballard and also because he spent so much time doing it. But we have a couple of more of these that are thankfully and mercifully much briefer. Uh, this next one is from, it's Bonnie L. Oscarson. So Give me the timestamp on that one too. Absolutely. It's 2.58. And this is from April 2018 General Conference. And it's from her talk titled, Young Women in the Work. This work. In Handbook 2, we learned that the work of salvation within our wards includes member missionary work, convert retention, activation of less active members, temple and family history work, and teaching the gospel. This work is directed by our... And that was it. I think that was it, because that goes to 313. But then again, she goes, if you can go to the 7.00 mark, she's going to quote from it again in the same talk for half a minute. This is just 32 seconds. Duties are often heavy, but just as one of your highest priorities is to preside over the Aaronic Priesthood Quorums, Handbook 2 explains that the bishop and his counselors provide priesthood leadership for the young women organization. They watch over and strengthen individual young women, working closely with parents and young women leaders in this efforts. It also states that bishop the bishop and his counselors regularly participate in young women meetings, service, and activities. We are grateful. That's it. That's it. So she quotes it from twice. And you've noticed that the, this is back in the time, even though that 2019 one, I just noticed that Elder Ballard was quoting from Handbook 2. So this is back when they still had Handbook 1, which is super secret, even as recently as April 2019. It's been since then that they put them together. And then you got Bonnie L. Oscarson doing the same thing in April 2018. Now, I, we've got a couple more. These are really interesting to me because these get into doctrine. And they're not just quoting it for this is what we do in church. But October 2017, General Conference, no, Elder no, Ballard. Sorry. That's okay. The trek continues, exclamation point. It's like Mormonism Live, exclamation point. His title of the talk is an exclamation point. The trek continues. 
And if you start at 847 and go to 954, so this is a little bit over a minute, but here he talks about healing practices. And this is important to RFM because you're setting up points that we're going to make later on in this discussion. Um, the, the viewers need to know, and the listeners later on, the viewers need to know that there is this hierarchy and we all in our heads think we have it figured out of like where living prophets go and, and where scriptures are and where the handbook goes. And, and I think it's quite interesting. You're the one who discovered this and, and I'll let you unveil it later, but these are important as a setup to recognize that the handbook is a, on some level, an official place to get the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as um, Elder Neil A. L. Anderson has said before, this quote, A few question their faith when they find a statement made by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There's an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. So there's him explaining that our doctrine isn't difficult to find. It's taught all over the place by the present leaders. Um, but as we'll get to, I think this gets interesting. As a brief counter to what he just said, I just have to say that my take on it is that the truth is the truth, regardless of how many people say it. And something that's false is going to remain false, regardless of how many people say it. Yeah, that, okay. that is also true. Here we go. <laughs> so here we go. The trek continues, exclamation point. You can see it on the screen. Take it away, Elder Ballard. In some places, too many of our people are looking beyond the mark and seeking secret knowledge and expensive and questionable practices to provide healing and support. An official church statement issued one year ago states, we urge church members to be cautious about participating in any group that promises in exchange for money, miraculous healings, or that claims to have special methods for assessing healing power outside properly ordained priesthood holders. The church handbook counsels handbook. members should not use medical or health practices that are ethically or legally questionable. Local leaders should advise members who have health problems to consult with competent professional practitioners who are licensed in the countries where they practice. Brothers and sisters. Is that it there? Yes. Yeah. yeah, so there and I was talking about healing and discouraging people from uh, going to any kind of healer that apparently is outside of a licensed physician or a priesthood holder. This is under the heading of your magic is bad, our magic is good. So. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that, Bill? There's one more example, but let's go ahead and talk about this for a second. I know we'll talk more about it here in a minute. Yeah. So do you want me to put the handbook section up that talks about the energy work? Or uh, are you not wanting to get there yet? You know, if I could just play this last thing and then we'll oh, go sure. right to the energy. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I will, I will just say it is interesting, right? Like you said, our magic's good. Their magic's bad. Um, and I think I'll save my comment for when we get to the end of this. But 
we can actually, we can, we actually can get to uh, the bottom of through data of whether priesthood power works. And, and I'd love to talk about that in a moment too. But yes, I've got the, the last clip for you. Yeah, the problem I think is is that uh, we I have done so many podcasts. There was the General Conference Death March. Everybody where, dies. Yeah, everybody dies in these stories. Like that, eleven they, people they, that conference, right? I think you. I think you said eleven people died. It was amazing. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. It How was many awful. were raised from the dead? Zero. Zero. They weren't even healed. They weren't even made better. Their sniffles didn't even clear up. These guys yeah. all died, and and especially Elder Iring. You know, if you see him at your doorway to give you a priesthood blessing, you need to run. You need to run the other direction because he's like Kevorkian in there. He's even if he cries, that. even if he cries, doesn't matter. Especially if he cries. Especially Especially you know he why cries. he's crying because he knows what's going to happen as soon as he gives you a blessing, <laughs> and you'll be you'll be having an interview of your own with the Savior shortly thereafter as he puts spirit in prison pocket. or yeah. But this is like this is like if if Roto Rooter had a church, okay. And Roto Rooter, and I'm not saying anything bad about Roto Rooter, might be more effective. At least you probably would. Be. <laughs> but for purposes of my example, let's say that Roto Rooter does a, they're crap. They can't clean a drain to save their souls, all right? Even though that's what their job is, that's what their advertising says. And they tell you that as a member of their church, you have, if you got to clear your drains, you got to clog in your drains, you need to clean, okay? You can't go to any other service to get your drains cleaned. You have to stick with Roto Rooter even though Roto-Rooter can't clean your drains to save their soul. That's kind of what they're saying there, I think. Yeah, there's one guy that can fix your problem and don't even look anywhere else. <clears throat> Excuse me, even if there's competitive, competitive and qualified people elsewhere. Can I give you one other example that came please, to my I mind? I lost my voice, so please. Okay, it's from the book of Exodus. Uh, let's go to the scripture, shall we, in the Old Testament. No, there's this wonderful story where Moses goes down to Egypt and he's got all these great illusions or tricks or whatever demonstrations of his power that God's given him to show the Egyptians so that they'll be wowed and realize that he comes from God. He's got power. And one of them has to do, it was in the movie, 10 commandments has to do with uh, Moses going to the Egyptian magicians and Moses throws down his staff in the, in the dirt and his staff becomes a serpent, right? And you got the two Egyptian magicians and they throw down their staffs and their staffs become serpents. So now it's a battle between the serpents to demonstrate which of these people have the superior power, who has the biggest power. And Moses' serpent eats their two serpents alive. So obviously Moses wins, right? His God is more powerful than whatever supernatural sources behind the Egyptian magicians. Okay, so having recapped that story for your entertainment, if Moses were a Mormon priesthood leader today in that same situation, what would happen is that he would throw his staff down in the ground and it would just lie there. That's it. Right. It doesn't and change anything. It just, it just stays a staff. And nobody else is allowed to throw their staff down at all. No, there will be no staff throwing. <laughs> only one staff allowed <laughs> and it doesn't function. Only, only priesthood holders get to throw their staff down and it doesn't do anything. So uh, you're, okay, we're going, are we going to the next, the final clip? The final, it's very brief, but this is also, this is about, um, Man's relationship to women in the LDS church. They're quoting from the manual and they're quoting something that's kind of different from the scriptures. I mean, it doesn't necessarily contradict the scriptures, but it's sure adding something. It's, it's a brief clip. Yeah. What's the timestamp on this one? Ah, it is. This is April 2015 General Conference. Sister Linda K. Burton will ascend together is the title of her talk. Timestamp 6.20. And it's just 17 seconds long. 6.20.
Yeah, and I, I almost wonder, wasn't she the one talking in the second one we played? And I and I think she's wearing the same outfit. Is this the same talk? That's Bonnie Oscarson. So oh. I hope it's not the same one. Either that well, or my notes are wrong. All right, maybe I'm off. Here we go. Stronger. In a chapter about families, the church handbook contains this statement. The nature of male and female spirits is such that they complete each other. Please know that Bless it does not hearts. say compete with each other, but complete each other. That's it. We are here to. So there, I mean, she's not just saying that male and female complete each other. She's saying the nature of male and female spirits, if I heard her correctly, is that they complete each other. Okay, now we're adding stuff now. This is not in the scriptures at all. And we're, get, we're putting stuff. Whoever's in charge of this manual, the correlation committee, is adding stuff now that they want to have added. And they're doing it in such a way as it's not being presented to the church for any kind of sustaining vote or even with their knowledge, probably, unless they become a leadership uh, position holder and then they read this particular passage. Your thoughts, Bill? Just that I was raised to believe, I shouldn't say raised, I, I joined a church and was taught early on that the living prophets and the scriptures were the guides for how we operate in this life in terms of church function. And what we're learning is that things that have never been said by a living prophet to begin with and have never been in the scriptures ever can be placed into the handbook and can suddenly become something which we abide by. And I think you and I understand it when we say you can't light candles in the church for fire insurance purposes. I think we get that. Mm -hmm. But this is theological doctrine. This is theological ideology. This is uh, this is uh, principles and not just policies. Not, we're not talking about candles and fire insurance. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the eternal truths of the kingdom are. And we can now, in 2020, and I think before, as we're showing here with these talks, we can place something in the handbook that's never been talked about before, and it suddenly becomes part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And now I'm going to up the ante. Are you ready for this? This is what I've been leading toward. I'm so excited about this because now the question becomes, okay, what happens if something gets put in the manual? I keep saying manual, the handbook that is not only additional or supplemental to the scriptures, but that contradicts the scriptures. What happens then? And of course, I think most members of the church would go, well, that would never happen. Well, I'm going to give you two examples of that. And the first one happened back on November 5th of 2015, when that policy of exclusion was placed in the manual. And according to the policy of exclusion, one of the component parts of it, as you will recall, is that certain children uh, with a gay parent could not be baptized. You remember that. They couldn't be baptized when they turned eight. In fact, they had to wait until they were 18 and moved out of the offending parent's home and disavowed that parent's lifestyle and got permission from the first presidency to get baptized when they were 18. Okay, so that's part of that, that policy. But if you go to Doctrine and Covenants, section 68, and Bill, I don't know if you have that. If you don't, that's fine. I know you have another section later I, on. I don't. I've got, I've got another one open for later, but no. It's okay. Let me just go ahead and read it to you. Uh, you'll probably know this. This is a seminary scripture, at least when I was uh, younger. Verse 25, okay? And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes, which are organized, that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism, 
and of the gift of the Holy Ghost by laying on of the hands, when eight years old, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. And then 26, verse 26 really drives it home and says, for this shall be a law unto the inhabitants of Zion or in any, or in any of her stakes which are organized. And their children shall be baptized for the remission of their sins when eight years old. It actually repeats that. And in the middle of it says, this is a law unto the inhabitants of Zion. Well, all of a sudden now you've got this 2015 policy of exclusion saying, no, not all kids. Certain kids don't get baptized when they're eight years old. So what the handbook does is it actually contradicts the scripture. It violates what the Lord apparently in section 68 has termed to be a law unto the inhabitants of Zion. Now the question, when there's a conflict, which takes precedence, the handbook or the scriptures? Yeah, that's, that's the debate. And when it comes to the November 2015, if we believe the LDS church is true and we believe it's run by living prophets, seers, and revelators who speak to God, and that God or these prophets made the first adjustment out of love and then did the second adjustment out of love and removed it, Heavenly Father somewhere along the way came in and said, guys, you shouldn't be doing this. Take it off the books. And they've done that. So now the question you're asking is, we learned our lesson, right? RFM, we we learned not to do things that violate the scriptures and do things different in the handbook. There can't possibly be a second example um, in in today's moment. And yet, I think at some point tonight, we're going we're gonna to get to one. Oh, you're muted, I think. Can we get to this one right now? Because I love it. Because this is a it. real, real example. By the way, my answer to that question that I posed is that when there's a conflict, it's the handbook that takes precedence. It's the handbook that's followed. In this way, the handbook is not only equal to the scripture, which is shocking enough to me, it's actually above the scriptures. If there's a conflict and the handbook takes precedence over the scriptures, then obviously the handbook has priority and authority above and beyond the standard works, Bill. As remarkable as that may seem, and we've got another example coming up right now. Now, this is one that was not announced, believe it or not. There were changes that were made in the manual that were not announced with the yeah. press release. And, oh, you've got it up there. This is just wonderful. I do. So, I want to try to find. Um, yeah, I'll get it's 32.9.1. Yeah, you're going to have to help me all night long with that. I just, I'm just i just trying to make sure I got the right documents up. So 32.9. I can't even see those numbers. Can you see those numbers as you're going? I, I can, and I okay. know the audience can. So let's I'm getting scroll motion all the way down. Man, I know. Let me know when you get there. All right, close your eyes, everybody. Um, oh, here it is. There it is, 32.9.2. And can you go up just a little bit? Uh, sure. Okay, first off, state president. There we go. State president. We know he has authority over membership councils in the state. This but is right. This is doing with stake disciplinary councils, which have their names changed and all that's just little details. But because the, the actual, uh, what they try to accomplish is the same. Um, these are the disciplinary councils held at the stake level and how the stake president would operate. These are withdrawing membership councils now. Yeah, which sounds so much nicer than excommunication. It really I, wish does. I, I wish I wouldn't have been excommunicated and only had my membership withdrawn. <laughs> it sounds so nice and warm and fuzzy. It almost makes me want to go through one of these. Maybe that will yet happen. I don't know. But at least I won't get excommunicated like you know. Right. Anyway, the state president is still over um, 
a man or woman, I'm right here, the third one, third bullet point down, holds a stake membership council. That's what it's called now, stake membership council. If, um, did that thing go up there? I hate that box. Where it By comes the up way, there I think that's intentional. I think, I think that is to make it really hard for guys like you and me who are trying to point things out to people on a critical point of view because you now, it's so tough to copy and paste it. It's so tough to highlight it. It's a pain in the ass. Mormonism, thank you so much. You've done well. You've made it a, more of a pain in the ass in my side. I know. It's like they have this whole thing to do this, and it doesn't really do anything other than you could do if you just, what, you blocked it and you copied and pasted it. Right. So holds a stake membership council if a man or woman who has received the temple endowment will likely have his or her church membership withdrawn. Okay. So they're still there with um, endowed members, man or woman, stake president in charge of these. So he, this would have applied to you. When it happened. Now let's go to 32.92.2. Yeah, 39.32.9.2. Here is a huge change, which went unheralded. Can you read that? I'd love to. Uh, this, Yeah, this uh, strikes very familiar with some feelings that I've got about something that happened to me in the past. 32.9.2, uh, High Council. Members of the High Council do not normally participate in stake membership councils. Okay, can However, we stop right there? Can we stop oh, yeah. right there? Huge change because up until this point, they were always part of disciplinary councils. That's, I mean, you've had the experience. I haven't. Did you have a high council there when you went in? There was the stake presidency and then 12 other men in that room, plus a uh, secretary or clerk uh, who kept the records. And, and those men did and performed certain roles in that room. Right. So this is a huge change. What they're trying to do, what they're actually, no, what not what they're trying to do, what they're doing by this is limiting the person's present at a, an excommunication or disciplinary or stake membership council to the members of the stake presidency and allowing the high council to not be present. Why, it, why RFM, would you not want a high council to be present for a disciplinary uh, court? Well, this is what I said back when you were going through your ordeal which is that um, if I'm a stake president or if I'm a leader in the church, the last thing that I would want is to have my senior priesthood leadership all gathered together in one room and have to sit there for two hours while Bill Real tells them why it is the church isn't true. <laughs> yeah, so you and I this morning, I think we named this, this is the real rule. This is the Bill Real rule. It's, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, the Amber Law or Amber Alerts, they have all sorts of laws that are, that are named for people. This Sophie's is choice. <laughs> Poor Sophie. This is the Bill Real Rule, 32.9.2. It should have a, a parenthesis, Bill Real Rule in parenthesis right next to that number. Yeah. Because so, I think, honestly, and um, I think that you are at least partially responsible for this change in the way that these disciplinary councils are conducted. Now, it goes on and says, you know, a state president, he can have the high council present under certain circumstances, uh, but it's totally discretionary with the state president. And the very first line discourages it. Members of the high council do not normally participate in state membership councils. Okay, now you got section 102, because once again, once again, this change in the manual directly contradicts the scripture as we have it in the Doctrine and Covenants and contained in section 102. There it is. This is the minutes of the organization of the very first high council in this dispensation. It was 1834, it's Kirtland, Ohio. And if you can, let me see here. I got to find it on where my, it starts. 
Verse 12. Yes, it is. Okay. So let me go ahead. I'll just go through this really quick, okay? Because whenever a high council of the Church of Christ is regularly organized according to the foregoing pattern, it shall be the duty. Notice those words, Bill. It shall be the duty of the 12 counselors to cast lots by numbers and thereby ascertain who of the 12 shall speak first, etc. Now, if you go on to 15, okay? Because 15 now starts talking about a case where a person is accused of some conduct. J'accuse. Like you were, Bill. The accused in all cases, has a right to one half of the council. Why? To prevent insult or injustice. And the counselors appointed to speak before the council are to present in the case, present the case after the evidence is examined in its true light before the council, and every man is to speak according to equity and justice. Those counselors who draw even numbers, etc., are the individuals who are to stand up in behalf of the accused excuse me, and prevent insult and injustice. So this yeah. is remarkable, the language here. And by the way, let me add to it. We, it, it names that those, high, those 12 men have a duty to be there. They also, uh, the, the person being accused has a right to those six of them standing up for him to make sure that there is uh, no insult or injustice. And then notice verse 18, in all cases, the accuser and the accused shall have a privilege of speaking for themselves before the council at which those 12 men have a duty to be present for. Good point. That good point. That's another, that's another place where it's referenced. That's the accused. I have a right. I, in that room, I had a right to speak in front of those 15 men. Yes. And according to doctrine and covenant section one or two, which is still scripture in our church, this is directly contradicted now by the amendment to the handbook, which now says you can do this just in front of a state presidency. No more high council needed. And I, I knew this was in the Doctrine and Covenants. I had to look up the section, but I was surprised even when I read it, the, the, the strength of the language that an accused has the right to have this happen. Why? To prevent the insult or injustice. And when you start talking about rights, and Joseph Smith knew this, um, you're talking about something that's very, very powerful. When you have a right to something, the church doesn't get to come along later and say, oh, well, you don't have that right anymore. The state president doesn't get to say, well, we won't have a high council in this case because uh, it's just too much difficulty and I don't have to anymore. A right is something that you have as the accused and it can't be waived by somebody else for you. It's as if I went over to do a criminal trial over here in superior court one day and we go in there, we're ready for trial and I look up at the jury box or actually at the um, uh, the seats out there where the jury panel would be waiting to be selected. And the judge says, well, I decided we're just not going to have a jury in this case. You guys can just try your case and I'll make the decision. And of course, I would be thinking, well, you can't do that, judge, because my client has a right to a trial by jury. It's in the Constitution. That's what makes it a right. It says it's a right. And so the judge doesn't get to waive that right on behalf of my client. Now, my client could waive that right because it's his right. and He can waive it if he wants and just try it to the judge. But the judge doesn't get to waive that right. So this is why I see this change as in contradiction to Section 102. I think it's an obvious contradiction. But, Bill, which is going to be followed? Yeah, so the handbook, it appears here, it appears here as though the handbook 
trumps the Holy Scriptures. Now, the Holy Scriptures, the way it's worded, it's not only your right. It is literally, if Mormonism is true, it is literally your God-given right. It is Heavenly Father and His Son, Jehovah, who have given you the right to have this. Now, notice, too, it seems like they're aware of the Scripture as they write these uh, clauses. So if there are, oh, wait, they have, they have 102 right there. They cite to 102, but only to verse two, don't they? Only verse two. And they have these clauses. Um, if there are contested facts. Now, I think in my situation, my stake president could have easily argued that there are no contested facts, Bill. You admit you put this episode out. You admit you called Elder Holland a liar. You, you know, we're not getting you for any kind of sin that we heard some rumor about, we're getting you for the things that are right here on the internet that we have records of. So I don't think I could have made the request on that one. It says they would add value and balance. I don't think my stake president would have agreed there that these guys are going to add anything to this meeting. Here's the one little stickler that they leave in that I would encourage everybody who's watching this right now. And anytime you hear of somebody who is having a disciplinary council, it says here, if the member requests their participation... I would encourage every member of the church strongly, if your issue is church history and the accusation of apostasy, or maybe it's an issue of, you know, whatever other thing it was, could, it could have been LGBT prior to, you know, when they changed it again. Um, we have new rules on transgender, which we'll get to in a little bit, but the member requests their participation. Everybody listening, make sure that if somebody you know is going to have a disciplinary court for apostasy or some other issue where it would benefit you to speak up, I would suggest that you absolutely adamantly slam your fist on the desk and demand that those 12 men be in that room. Because if you don't know you can do this and you aren't uh, asking for it, my guess in situations like Jeremy Runnels and John DeLynn and Kate Kelly and all those kinds of folks, and, and again, Kate Kelly is a sister, so it's not even necessary to have a state council, by the way. But when they have a state council, demand that those 12 men are in that room so that they have to be a part of what you talk about and the things that you share. Three quick comments. You'll notice that even according to that, even if you demand it, it's still discretionary with the state president by the terms of the handbook. For example, the state presidency may invite the high council to participate. Oh, look at that. So even if I slam my fist on the table, RFM, and right. I demand it, the state presidency could add them for those four reasons, but he doesn't have to. Right. And the other thing about contested facts that you talked about. Okay. It doesn't make any difference. It's a right. Damn it. Yeah. The facts don't matter. It's a right. It's a God given right. It doesn't make any difference if my client confessed the entire crime, if there's DNA evidence, if there's blood evidence, if there is uh, fingerprint evidence, his fingerprints are at the scene. If there's 12 witnesses and all of them are nuns saying that my guy did it. There's nothing contested. He still has the right to have a jury. That's what a right means. So here we are on January 6th, 2021. And you and I would not have said this five years ago or 10 years ago. We would have said if there, if there is a discrepancy between the handbook and the Holy Scriptures, we would have said the Holy Scriptures wins. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And here we are, January 6th, 2021. And the church has completely said, Heavenly Father, get the hell out of the way. Kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, what Elder Holland did on your Wrong Roads episode. Um, and the church has thrown Heavenly Father, not under the bus, just completely over the cliff and said, we don't need you. 
We don't need Heavenly Father anymore. We'll do whatever the we want. Yeah, it's handbook two, scriptures zero. Can I also just say one other thing that I think is just really dumb? I'm sorry to use that that word. It's not very descriptive. But this last thing, okay, that the state president may now may invite the high council to participate when a member of the state presidency or his family is involved. That's insane. Because what difference does it make if the high council's present? If it's the state president's, it, let's say it's his son, okay? If his son is the one who's accused, the state president still has the final say as to what happens, and the high council is called upon to sustain his decision. That makes no sense whatsoever. What would make sense, and by the way, this is a, a note to the church for future emendation of this particular part of the handbook, is that if the member of state presidency or his family is involved, you give that over to the state presidency in an adjoining stake, okay? You have somebody else who's not related to this person dealing with this. That's what you should do. Because what you said is, basically, the state president, if his son is uh, accused of something, then he's still the same guy who's going to make the decision. You're just going to have 12 other people present in the room. I feel like I'm on one of Drew Carey's Whose Line Is It Anyway, where the rules are made up and the scriptures don't matter. Like that's, that's what we're playing by now. Like the scriptures don't matter. It doesn't matter what the scriptures say. These 15 men do whatever the, they want. Yes, but they're quoting the scripture. So therefore it must all be based on the scripture. How can you quote the scriptures when you aren't even following the rules in the very scriptures that you're quoting? Like I know. they're pointing you to section 102 and then they break the rule, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm this close RFM to using yeah. the foulest of swear language. I'm, I'm almost this close to using words that only Quakers used within active, active Mormon <laughs> uh, internet parlance. <laughs> but, you know, if they left that out, you, we would assume the people who wrote this have read Doctrine and Covenants section 102. You would think. But if they left this out, we could still say, well, maybe they're just really dumb. But no, they put in the reference. So now we know that they have read it. They, we know they're aware of it. And so yeah. therefore, they have to know that they're abridging it and violating the right that is set forth in section 102. Yeah, th this to me is if anybody goes like, no, listen, Mormonism is serious. It takes its rules. No, it doesn't, guys. I mean, look, look, like right, well, right there. Look at that. Right there, everyone. The church doesn't follow its own rules. It makes them up as it goes. It literally makes them up as it goes. <laughs> and, you know, I've just got to think, uh, does this give us a window into how seriously they take the idea that the Doctrine and Covenants is really the word of God? And by the way, the, the whole thing with Bednar saying he is scripture, that little quote down there below, yes. like that is actually more true than the scriptures now because Bednar is in the room with the guys making the decision to do that. And so now Bednar actually is more holy scripture than the scriptures. <laughs> Every time I think of that quote, uh, I am scripture, attributed to uh, David Bednar, I always think of the Helen Reddy hit song, I am woman. I, 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 think, of, I think of David Bednar singing, I am scripture, hear me roar. Yeah. I thought our doctrine wasn't hard to find, but this shows you right now, this shows you our doctrines of like, it's like 10 puzzles with all the puzzle pieces dumped out and scattered out. And then you're told you only have to put the one perfect true puzzle together and you don't have a chance because it's all over the place. Yeah. And they took out a bunch of pieces from each of the 10 puzzles before they yeah. dumped out the rest. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. All right. when you and I started, yeah, when you and I started looking at this, this yeah. was to me the the bombshell was this point that you're making right now on this. 
I didn't think of this until you and I got talking and you brought this up and it was a light bulb moment for you. This to me is absolute crazy town. Yeah, they don't believe their scriptures or at no. least they don't believe them enough to think that they're required to follow them. Even when the scriptures give you a God-given right. It's there. It's already <laughs> set up, but we're going to we're going to change that uh, and uh you follow the handbook because the handbook is getting back to the the point. The handbook is the super scripture. The handbook trumps scripture. Yeah. And the in the comment here that's on the screen, none of what you are saying would change the outcome. We agree. We agree that whatever I said in that room for two hours wasn't going to change the outcome. But it was still, if the church is true, Heavenly Father said I had the God-given right to do it anyway, and now it's been taken away. And and my point isn't to change the outcome. My point is to maybe wake up one more person in that room to the messiness of Mormonism so that they can take their own life back and make their own choices without the pressure of the church deeming what they should do. Yeah. And if you go back to the court analogy, uh, nine times out of 10, you try a case to a jury. If they're going to convict your client, a judge would probably do it if you just tried it to the bench. But that doesn't change the fact that you've got the right to have the jury. Right. You have the right to have the jury, even if you've already done the confession in the police headquarters. Like you said, if you've already got DNA plastered everywhere, you're holding the knife and you said, look, guys, I did it. Like we can stop right here. You still, if you, if you want, you get to have the jury trial. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I sometimes go like, okay, these guys are getting better. It can't get crazier. They can't, they're, they're not going to do crazier shit than what they're already doing. And here we are Mormon leaders doing crazier shit. I got a question for you right now, Bill real. This is unscripted. And it's live. Okay. Uh, we've been going now for 50 minutes and we've got another 50 minutes left with the changes. Do you want to do that as a part two and just take some phone calls now? Um, we can do that. Why don't we try to get a couple of these out of the way? Because I think a couple of these can be just nailed really simply. Okay. Um, the church here, for instance, let's put one up on the screen. The church here talks about medical marijuana. Um, I, I think it's kind of insane that the church does not approve of smoking marijuana, but then just above the church is perfectly okay with vaping marijuana. Um, those are pretty much the same thing, minus you're not burning the actual plant. So you're not taking some smoke into your body. I guess that's the the deal breaker for them. Well, it does um, say the church does not approve of vaping marijuana, right? It No, the church does not approve of vaping marijuana unless the medical provider has authorized it based on medical necessity. And then oh. below, the church does not approve at all costs, no matter what a medical provider says, does not approve of smoking marijuana, including for medical purposes. So it seems like they're, you know, arguing over a word here, a word there, what things mean. You know, what what does is, what is is, you know? I hadn't um, caught that one. That is a, that is a strange... It is, but I will say that this is at least, I think, a step forward. We are entering a world where there's lots of science being done on conscious altering tools such as cannabis. By the way, they still use the old term marijuana. They seem to not want to say cannabis, which is where we're all, the term we're all using today. But whether it's uh, MDMA or magic mushrooms, uh, LSD, they are finding huge breakthroughs in dealing with sexual abuse, abuse of various kinds, uh, depression, uh, PTSD with these substances in ways that opiates could not deal with in healthy ways. These things are, are dealing with these things magnificently. 76% of soldiers, for instance, under uh, MDMA being treated for PTSD, 76% of them absolutely rid themselves uh, uh, in the studies of PTSD 
when using MDMA, for instance. So I think this is a step forward for the church. I'll knock this one out of the way. You say people are saying cannabis more and more. I don't even say marijuana. I still say weed, grass, or Mary Jane. Yeah, my my right. Those are the those are the ones. I guess is I like Mary Jane, MJ, MJ, Mary Jane. Uh, yeah, there's. Um, uh, never mind. I'll move on. So the uh, energy healing. I mentioned that one to begin with. I don't think there's anything serious here, other than there are lots of health treatments that are as viable as priesthood blessings, which means they don't have to do anything, or they have some viability. And a friend of mine and somebody you picked up on this week, you said, hey, look at this person saying something with Wendy Jensen. Right. And she was talking about energy healing and essentially was saying like, look, you're cutting out all these spiritual practices that, that people are getting benefit from. The way you articulate your argument, LDS Church, and she's pointing to this right here. She's saying you're being so vague that you're cutting people off from very healthy practices such as like meditation or yoga um, and a host of others. But simply to acknowledge the church for some reason, as you pointed out, wants to stop anything that could give somebody a spiritual experience, the magnitude of a priesthood blessing or greater. Um, anything else you want to say on that one? Uh, just that. I don't know if you have that quote right there, but they actually stop being vague. And they specifically call out in the handbook, energy healing. Yeah. So they, they name a specific practice, which they are discouraging and discounting, saying don't do it. Which tells me that the leadership of the church, or at least people who are writing this, this manual, are having a real issue with members of the church doing energy healing. And they want to stop it. And they want to stop it so much that they, they stop the regular practice of just being sort of vague. And they actually say, energy healing, don't do it. Right, right. Um, I'll leave the transgender one for next week. I think that's important enough that we should spend a few minutes on it without feeling rushed. Um, I also want to say that um, uh, next week, I want to actually read from a blog post that uh, your friend, Wendy Wilcock Jensen, wrote back in December on her Facebook page, sort of titled LDS Authorities, What a Disappointment, and getting her take on it as a practitioner of energy healing and also as a woman yeah, in the LDS church, although she may be post LDS by this point, I'm not sure, but she raises a number of very, very interesting points. And she calls out in ways that I had not considered the hypocrisy of the leadership of the LDS church in adding this particular section to their manual. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And in fact, Wendy, if you happen to be watching or listening uh, if you want to set up with this private message, one of us, and we'll even set up to maybe take a call from you personally just to talk to you about that. I want to hit just two more really quick, and then we can move on to some phone calls, and we can hit the rest next week. Um, one is cremation. When you and I joined the church, when we grew up with Bruce R. McConkie Mormonism, Joseph Fielding Smith Mormonism, cremation was really bad. And it was the handbook was explicit that cremation should not be a choice unless your country essentially forces it to happen that a full body uh, casket burial is the uh, prescribed mode of burial and death handling by Heavenly Father himself and by his son, Jesus Christ. And then I remember that the newer handbook started to make room for it. Like, oh, you know, different places in the world handle this differently. A uh, body in a casket burial is the preferred method, but you can, if need be, get cremation done. And then 
you know, it got to the point, I've got some sirens in the back, sorry about that, but it got to the point here where now we are in this new handbook where cremation is treated side by side with putting a body in a casket as if this has been an, an approved uh, equal standing way of handling death since the church began. But RFM, I'm not crazy, right? Like cremation was a bad thing 20 years ago. Oh yeah, I served my mission in Japan. And in Japan, cremation is the, the, the common method because uh, space is so limited and the population so great. And I, I sort of remember it being an issue over there, this idea about cremation being uh, very much um, uh, this, well, the church didn't like it. The church wasn't in favor of it. The church wanted you buried in the ground. And it was obvious to me, and I think it's obvious to everybody, that the idea behind that has to do with the resurrection, right? That it ties into the resurrection. So apparently, since the 70s, at least, God has figured out how to resurrect a cremated body. So everything's good now. Yeah, now Heavenly Father somewhere, you know, figured it out. And now we have the solution. We could put the particles back together. Um, but what happens if you, like, dump it in the ocean and the particles get eaten by fish and then the fish get eaten by another person and now their new cells are made up from the dead cells of a person sprinkled in the ocean? Like, how does that work? And so we see how a king may go a progress through the guts of a beggar. <laughs> so I think I got that right. I think you nailed it. Off the top of my head. That's from Hamlet, of course. But anyway, no, that 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 problem was also, of course, present even if you're in the ground, because the same thing's gonna happen over time. It Eventually. may not be quite as quick. Yes. And so that's always been one of those uh, chestnuts regarding a physical resurrection out of the actual elements of your body. Because if everything, if everybody's okay. Every living thing that's ever existed cannot be physically resurrected in the same body in which they existed because every body that exists has component parts of previous bodies that have existed. Yeah, right. Everything is the substance of everything else. There was a, some kind of scientific study done where they argued that every one of us has like six molecules from Napoleon Bonaparte in our bodies. Yes. Uh, yeah. So there I is some science. That. So, that, so the resurrection, Heavenly Father has got some cool trick he's going to do. Um, we're not going to understand it, so let's move on. Um, one of the other ones here, HIV and AIDS. I just want to say, I I think for once, they really took a difficult issue, and it took them a long time. Here we are in 2021. This happened at the very end of 2020. But 2021, it took us a while. This was a major issue in the 1980s. Uh, it was being debated everywhere. Magic Johnson, I remember being in school, I think it was fourth grade or fifth grade, health class. And we learned that Magic Johnson had AIDS and we just knew in our heads as kids. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to quibble. I think he had HIV. HIV. Sorry. Okay. Had HIV. And we knew that it would eventually turn into AIDS and that we would lose Magic Johnson um, to this horrible uh, immune deficiency disorder. And um, I think finally the church wrapped their head around this and what I can't really complain about. It's a positive way to handle this. Members who are infected with HIV or who have AIDS should be welcomed at church meetings and, and activities. Their attendance is not a health risk. I think that's great too. And this is, a, this is one of the new sections I understand, or at least this, this permutation of it. But I got to congratulate the church on finally, the, their attendance is not a health risk to others. Welcome to the 1980s LDS church. Yeah. Welcome. Sure. Welcome to the 1980. Wait a minute. We always say how far behind is the church from modern society? 20 to 25 years. Now they're 30. 
Well, yeah, I used to say they're 40, and I think we're just about at that. So the rest of the world was dealing with this in the 80s, and I think by the 90s, we had healthy ways of framing at least our mind. Even if we still did these judgment things, we at least knew the science and we knew the intellectual side of it, which is it can't be transmitted just by physical contact. Uh, it takes sexual contact or a blood transfusion of some sort or something of the like, and hence somebody with HIV or AIDS was completely safe to sit by us on the park bench or to be in the pew next to us. And here we are 2020 and we finally get it. Let me give us one more and then I promise I will bow out. You still have Ted's way. comment on the screen, I think. Oh yeah, let me get that out of here. I gotta figure out, I'll have to put a new one up for a second. No offense, Ted. Yeah, Ted's enjoying it. There we go, enjoying your presentation, cheers. We can have an anonymous Facebook user, it's not Q. Who knows who that could be? Um, let uh, Yes? Oh, oh, sorry. No, no. I just need to skip to, here we go. Let me pull this up on the screen and I'll get rid of the anonymous user's comment. Uh, stillborns. I don't know if there was anything that stuck out here. I just want to note there's no ordinance necessary for a stillborn child that, but otherwise outside of that comment, which I don't know, I guess we could fight over whether there should be or shouldn't be in terms of being compassionate and loving towards the parents. But I think everything else here is great. They're really supportive of the family and letting the family make a decision on how they grieve. But I would want to note the one little thing that seems why they want to make uh, ordinances not necessary for stillborn children would be that there's still some debate when, when the spirit enters the body, right? We have that scripture from third Nephi, I think it is where Jesus' voice shows up the night before he's about to be born into the new world or into the into old world. Right. And he's talking to the Nephites. And hence, by talking to them, obviously his spirit is not in this baby Jesus yet inside Mary's womb. And so I know early on in my time in Mormonism, we used to debate all the time that the spirit enters the body sometime just before birth because we use that scripture as a reference. And I think that we ought to at least acknowledge it seems like Mormonism isn't quite decided yet on when the spirit might enter a body. Because if a spirit enters a body at conception, every sperm then, is sacred. Then that still that stillborn child probably should have ordinances performed. Ah, and this will come up again. We'll get to this next week, honestly. But uh, under the abortion section, yeah. can you go back to that one again? Because there's something. I'm reading this for the first time. I hadn't read this one before. I find parts of this potentially offensive. First off, parents who ex experience the death of an unborn child suffer grief and loss. Duh. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. And then it says, if you, if you strip out the leaders and the ministering brothers and sisters, family members offer emotional and spiritual support. Yeah. Duh. But, th but now they're going to cap it off because now the church in its goodness and graciousness will say what? Parents may decide whether to hold memorial or graveside services. Can you imagine the church going, no, we decide. And but that's the what church, they're saying is that they could. Right. They, they are could. giving the they're giving permission to parents who have an unborn child die. They're giving them permission in the manual to hold a memorial or a graveside service. Well, thank you so much, LDS Church, for giving us permission to do that. That's my reaction to that. 
Right. And there have been times in the past where the church, and, I, and I, don't, I can't remember any offhand, I will go look at some of the old handbooks and try to find it. But there are places in the past where the handbook said, the church takes care of these certain things. And there are things that you and I would go, I think the family should probably take care of that. And it mm-hmm. shouldn't be the church doing it. So as you point out, the church is allowing parents yes. to decide. And this very statement just is indicative of the, the control that the LDS church exercises and feels it has the right to exercise through its handbook over the minutest aspects and the most personal and private aspects of their members' lives. Yeah. In fact, if if it's just a given that the church doesn't have authority in this arena and parents would naturally decide, you don't have to put anything in at all about graveside services. That parents shouldn't be there. Decide. Yeah. That should not be there, yeah. in my opinion. Right. Um that's good enough for me. The rest of them, I think, are bigger ones, and we can tackle those next week in a part two, if, that, if you're okay with that. Absolutely. I'm great with that. We've got a lot of great stuff left to go. So with that, let me put a banner up on the, uh, on the, on the screen. You see the telephone number there, 435-200-3478. Or otherwise, what is that number also known as? Uh, it's 435-200-FIST. FIST. 200-FIST. Mm. John Larson, Studio Fist in your face. John, yeah. are you watching? I hope so. Love you, John. <laughs> I, I bet at this point, John's got better things to do. Him and Lindsay are probably recording something right now. They're watching Mormonism live. Yeah, Paris I don't know. I know, but but John, John even got to the point where he's like, even ex-Mormonism doesn't interest me anymore. So, yeah. you know, bigger and we better. You back. We brought you back, Bill. It's like Al Pacino in Godfather 3. Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Yeah, and that's different than the movie where he says, say hello to my little friend. That is a different one. That'd be Scarface. Uh, Scarface, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, 435-200-FIST or 200-3478. We'll wait for your calls. Uh, Love to hear your comments and thoughts on the handbook. So next week, the things that we're going to talk about, uh, transgender individuals, um, professional counselors, and professional therapy. There is abuse. And that one really... There was some line in that one that really intrigued me. There's dress and appearance. There's prejudice. The church in 2020, at the very end of 2020, is finally officially calling on all people, except for the leaders who won't apologize for the shit they've said and done. We're asking all leaders to put off their, or not leaders, all people to put off their prejudice. Mm-hmm. And then the one that you and I think uh, really has to do with what you and I do on a weekly basis, the seeking information from reliable sources. The reliable, so that make- credible, no, the credible, reliable, and factual sources of information, I think is the quote. Yeah, that should make for a lot of fun conversation next week. Uh, yeah. 435, which is the area code for Southern Utah, by the way, 435 200 fist. <laughs> that's F I S T for those of you from Rio. Just, that reminds me. I used to, me and my cousins used to call uh, bars when we were kids and we w- used to say funny names. And in fact, we're getting a call right now. So like on the Simpsons, like Bart Simpson would Yeah, call that kind of bar. thing. But we would say, yeah, is there, is there a Willie Fister bottom uh, available? And, and once in a while, we actually did get. <laughs> Once in a while, we did get the bartender to yell out loud to the bar to ask if somebody was there to take the phone call, and it was quite funny. Is there a Willie um, Fister bottom here? Is there a Willie yeah. see more See more butts. So you're probably taking that call right now. Bill's getting so good at screening these. He can do these 
in just seconds. And he's going to now be muted. He's going to take the name. He's going to find out who this person is and whether there really is a bomb threat that they're making, in which case we'll be contacting the FBI. Bill, yeah. are you ready? Yeah, I think we're ready. I, I know it's a, I know it's a female, but I, I can't tell the name. Um, it was a little soft. So please introduce yourself and tell us what you've got for RFM and I. Are you talking to me? I am. Go ahead. You're you're on the show. You're live. Are you talking to me? Okay, the name was Nuanto. Sorry. Uh, okay. I thought you were talking to Seymour, but. Uh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. You're on. So um, I actually have quite the crunchy family that is very much into energy work. Um, my mom is super TBM, devastated that I am now an atheist. And she and a lot of my family feel very superior to me because of my atheism, obviously, that they are in the church. But then there's an extra element that I wanted to ask you guys about, because my mom, for instance, believes that my daughter, who's six-year-old, when she throws a tantrum, is possessed by a demon. And she will do, she will try to get the demon out through energy work. She will do her, she will do her little spiel, her spiritual spiel, that is not technically, uh, you know, uh, kosher by the church. Um, but that my mom and other people are very much part of this energy healing Mormon group. And mm. I wanted to ask you guys, do people, people like, that you were describing, they don't care about what the brethren say on this matter. They care about everything else, but on this matter, they really, truly, I think, believe that they are superior and that the brethren are the ones that are led astray by big pharma, <laughs> led astray by the world. And on this one, they are morally superior. So I'm questioning how much this will have any effect whatsoever on the actual TBM type of Mormon population that also has this really, you know, crunchy, new agey, earthy kick to the side. I'm wondering what you guys think, if it'll actually change anyone's mind, because I don't see any real effect. They just, they think they, they have more connection to God than they, than the brethren do on this. So is it helping with the tantrums? That's what I want to know. Is it is it helping with the tantrums? Um, no. <laughs> and nor nor I, do we expect it to. I I've literally told my mom that uh, I'm trying to do child psychology things, helping her breathe through it, and she says I believe in that up to a certain point, but I believe in God and angels, and we need to call upon the Holy Spirit to. Uh, rid her of these demons. And my mom literally has talked to demons and in, in her mind, she has rid demons of people's bodies. She has said, you get out of that body right now. And she does this little thing with her hands. I don't know if you've seen energy healers do it. And they like get the spirit off their hands and like, get out of here. And they are like, well, they're healed. And they, they really truly believe in the practice that they do. Um, at, at some point, it's actually kind of cool because like you're saying a little bit earlier that you know, if people want to have individual spiritual practices, like your magic is better than my magic, who gives a crap at this point? But um, uh, they definitely have their own kick that they're on. Um, yeah. Well, I will tell you, I don't, I don't know if my mother spoke with demons, but I think she raised at least one. Yeah, I, I hung up the call there just so we could respond away from that. Um, you know, Do we need a laugh crack in this show. I, we do need a laugh track. Or okay, because with everything else you're doing, I think you can also do a laugh track for my jokes. My my bigger issue is that I can't do these screens and keep my ears listening at the same time. I'm really a one-track guy. So I'm just lucky if I am doing one thing at a time right. 
Um, well, I, I don't think- know about energy healing, but if I were there, I know what I would do. I'd be raising my right hand to the square and saying some very appropriate and stern words to that little child. Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, you'd bless the home. Mm, yep. <laughs> that's all. That's the tool bag you have, RFM. You can anoint the head with oil. You can raise your hand to the square. You could dust off your feet, but we're not supposed to do that. Or you could bless the house. And after that, your bag of tricks, you're out of tools. You don't have any more tricks to use. I will say, I think it, what she's pointing to is that what is this designed to do? Let me just, I've got another call coming. Let me just click it, accept, and then. Um, so this bag of tricks of going into the handbook and saying we aren't for a certain thing. What I think it does is it allows the church to put some distance between orthodox members and unorthodoxy. And we don't think of believing members of the church doing energy work as not orthodox, but it's not orthodox. And the church is always trying to put distance between anybody who believes differently in the church or out of the church from the Orthodox members so that they don't have any of these kinds of things in their purview. And so energy work is one of these things that the church leaders have deemed, let's keep the Orthodox members at a distance from uh, this unorthodox practice. Yes, and while you're taking that call, or before, whenever you want to do it. I think this points to a really interesting phenomenon, which is probably not exclusive to Mormons. But um, if we really believe something or hold something dear that's not in Mormonism, maybe it's outside of Mormonism or or Mormon teaching, when we get a statement from the church saying that's wrong or something that's contradicting to it, it's very, very common to have the members say, well, okay, I believe everything you're saying except for this, because when you're speaking about this thing, then you're speaking outside of your authority. And I've heard that before for somebody else. Uh, uh, it was a scientist, actually, who uh, believed in evolution, biological evolution. And he believed everything that the leaders of the church said, except for when they talked about things that contradicted the theory of evolution. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very much. All right. We've got a call from Nathan. Nathan, uh, what are you thinking tonight? Um, just uh We've we've actually in our family have had some some positive experiences with energy healing and uh, the energy healer we use. Um, where I, I'm actually aware that he does work for the twelve, including Russell M. Nelson. Get out of the city. It's very um, interesting that you know it's it's something that uh, you know some of these some of these guys are using, but uh, they make it uh, not allowed for the members of the church. Are we on the Art Bell show all of a sudden? Is this the Art Bell show? Coast coast to coast with Art Bell. Coast to coast with Art Bell. (laughs) I'd love to have that that music they play. So cool. I'll come up with that next week. Yes. Uh, I think this is the Art Bell show. Because I I, I love you dearly, Nathan, but I don't believe a word of what you just said. (laughs) I love you. I love you, darling. But I must be brutal, as my old dance teacher, my ballet teacher used to say. The idea of being a skeptic, it does it does carry out into all those facets. So when somebody does say something, whether true or not, Nathan certainly could be telling the truth, but I'm like you, I'm going, hmm, that seems a little bit odd that they would, you know, collectively go or against this, and then yeah. behind closed doors, two or three of them are using it. Now, Nathan, anything is possible, okay? Anything's possible. So I want to say it's certainly possible. I didn't cross-examine you about the source of your information or the basis of it. Uh, which I probably wouldn't have accepted anyway. But but I think that if President Nelson had some kind of energy healing done on him, his head would explode. He would be like those Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark with the melting face. 
Yeah, I've got I've got another caller. I didn't catch the name, so he'll have to introduce himself. Uh, caller, you are live on the air with Mormonism Live, RFM, and Bill Real. Wait, right now? Yeah, you're on, my friend. Whoa, that's crazy. So there must be like a live, I guess. Wow, that's crazy. Right now, you're going to talk to more people than you will in your entire life. Watch your tone. So I am live, right? That's crazy. Yeah, I'm you're on. Nervous now. Don't be nervous. What did you have for us? Hi. Well, thank thank you for having me on. Um, I wanted to say thank you, especially to uh, Radio Free Mormon. I think you're super highly objective and logical, and uh, and you served in Japan, and I did too. So it's always interesting to hear your uh, experience. Minasan konbawa. Hello. I'm sorry. Uh, are Hi. you still there? Did you hear me? I said Minasan konbawa. Can hear me, Bill. Hello? Are you hearing him talk? I, I'm not hearing anyone. Okay. Will you, will you tell him what I said, Bill? I, I, I will. He said he said <laughs> the cucumbers at the grocery store are not as ripe as they should be. That's um, like Joseph Smith's translation of the Book of Abraham. No, I, uh, he, okay. he spoke Japanese. I have no idea what he said, but he was hoping you would have understood it. Um, do you have a do you have another comment for us, or was that just was that it? I'm sorry. Did you have oh, something yeah, else? Yeah, I did. Okay, sure. So I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess I just wanted to comment on the whole sort of sketchiness about the handbook changes themselves when most of the membership can't even read it. I mean, it's like, we can sit here, you know, and talk about like how serious all these changes are, but most of the members like, aren't really going to see the deeper handbook changes, right. you know, that's where know. we come in. I just wanted to, I don't know, maybe hear your thoughts on that matter gotcha let me i'll hang up with you and we'll respond okay so hopefully what was the name of that caller bill um he had it was a it was not a it was not a normal human name it was some like remark. we have alien we have alien aliens calling the show now yeah 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 something like that so in I'll terms of it, i think the one thing that is nice and you agreed at the beginning of this is that the general population of the church now has access to the handbook and we don't know, is there a general authority handbook? Maybe. I know there used to be a patriarch uh, mini one or larger handbook just for patriarchs to use. So there still may be some things out there, but at least when it comes to the ward and stake level general operation, everybody gets to now read it, see it, look at it. And, and I think transparency is always a good thing. The more transparency, the better. I agree. But you know, first off, to this caller, whose name we don't really know, except apparently it's out of this world. Uh, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate the kind things you said about me. What I said was Minasan Kombawa, uh, which has, has nothing to do with cucumbers. What's He was a Japanese missionary. He was out there dindoshimasing all over the place, like I was back from 79 <laughs> to 81. But I'll laugh as if I know Japanese. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, so... Uh, so I appreciate the compliment uh, about the manual. You know, when you have, when you go from having a manual, a handbook one, which is super secret, as recently as 19, uh, no, 2019, and then you have a handbook two, which is open to the public, and now you say we're going to put them both together and make them open to the public and on the internet. Uh, I just have this curiosity as to whether there's another manual that they're not even mentioning now. Well, there is so, a mission president handbook, which is, which is said here. 
So there is there is a mission president handbook, and that I do know exists. So we do right. have handbooks that still are not available to the general public. Okay, and of course, I guess their their excuse would be, well, you don't need that unless you're a mission president. But of course, you know, all I know is that when we've got a track record of making certain handbooks uh, restricted in the restricted section of the library at Hogwarts, if those are restricted. And now you come out and say, we're going to make it public. I wonder if there's another section that's restricted. You'll be able to say. talk about now. All right. So we have a phone call from LeBlanc. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah LeBlanc. And he just hung up with us. So I guess he didn't want to, he didn't want to talk. Oh, no. So sorry LeBlanc. about that, LeBlanc. Okay. It was just LeBlanc. So call maybe back. Call, back. call back, LeBlanc. We definitely wanted to get your thoughts. Um, I don't know LeBlanc. I know LeBeef. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, the actor. LaBeouf or LaBluff or whatever his name is. So that oh, Shia, uh, Shia LaBeouf, right? Oh, is that what it is? I've seen LaBeouf, uh, the Texas Ranger from True Grit. <laughs> you know so much in terms of that kind of stuff. Here, we've got another call. I'll just put them right on the air live. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what that was. I tried to block out a name being said. All right, you are on the air live. I think it's, I think it's that possessed six-year-old calling on line one. That's what it sounds like. So... Uh, hello, go ahead. hello, internet. It is I, Evil Apostate. Oh my goodness! It's it's Yay. the the dragon himself, Evil Apostate. Tell us yes. something, Evil am Apostate. I, am I speaking with legendary podcaster Bill Real and Radio Free Mormons? You are speaking to us, Evil Apostate. What is? Glad oh you called. Glad you called. What is on your mind tonight? Well, you know, I got out of the church and I thought I was done. You know, spending time listening to old blowhards talk about the good old days in the high priest quorum and yet here we are in the ex-mormon community i gotta still sit through this crap yeah look at that ow ow no you guys no really you guys are doing great job i am really enjoying listening to what you're doing and i'm thinking to myself you know the church trying to tell these energy healers that they are, you know, are full of the diddly poop is kind of like, you know, the church is trying to hunker down and, and consolidate their own, you know, their own energy healing. And I'm thinking, you know, this, it's like, it reminds me of when the mafia like tries to, you know, get all of the other competing drug dealers out of their particular territory. It's like, they're just consolidating their power. What do you think? Let me ask you this evil apostate. If I were to go into the data, I just want to, I want to test how, magical priesthood power is. And I think you hit the nail on the head that you just get rid of the competitors. Anybody who can do something like you, if you're David Copperfield, you can't have David Blaine performing on the same street corner. That's no good. Yeah, exactly. No good for business. But I want to ask you a question, evil apostate. If we wanted to test the magic power of priesthood ordinance or or priesthood uh, uh, blessings, if I were to look at the health statistics in Utah, where it is 50% LDS and at least a larger chunk of those are active believing Mormons. And then I went into say Illinois or Ohio or Michigan or Georgia and looked at their health statistics. Do you think I would see a significant difference of any sort? And do you think I would see any data that would lead me to believe that there's more magic power in Utah? No, you you don't understand. You see, (laughs) you have to understand there are things that disqualify you from stealing powers of priesthood. All those people are diddling with their factories. And so, you know, anyone that gets blessing, but they already diddled with factory, then they don't get blessing. And so, you know, after a while, the brethren, they just like, they just keep 
you know, it's an act of faith to give the blessing, but when everybody's diddling with the factory, nobody gets the blessing, you're not going to see a statistical difference. Yeah, that were, that were, Mormonism live. I just explained Better it to you. Better than touching your own so now you factory. can go back and join the church. All of your arguments are gone. There you go. Well, diddling, we, diddling with your factory. I, Evil apostate. By the way, I didn't know that they had internet access. Is there? Evil apostate. As soon as you diddle with the factory, amen to the priesthood blessing of that man. Absolutely. But at least you don't need anointing oil. You don't need anointing anyway, oil, right? I'm going to hang up and let you guys comment and everything. I just I really enjoy, you know, listening to your show. And uh, you guys keep up the good work. Yes. Well, thank you, thank Evil Apostate. That's amazing. I didn't know they had phone service in the state. But seriously. We're getting to be big time. We've got Evil Apostate calling, <laughs> calling our one, show. He's one of my very, very favorite characters. We, I, I wanted to tell him we, we don't use the term little factories anymore. We prefer the staff of Aaron. Staff. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes ask my wife if she would like to uh, receive the priesthood by the laying on of hands and that there's going to be some oil needed to perform the magic ordinance. But but she she doesn't always take me up on that. RFM. Uh, you've got the best lines ever is all I can say. <laughs> I don't know how any woman could resist a line like <laughs> Right. It sounds so sexy. So, so a touch of turn on. Let's, uh, let's take our very last call of the night. Is that good? Are you good with that? If you're talking to me, yes, I'm okay. good with that. Let me, let me put you on hold one second. What's the name? All right. Laurie is on the phone with us. And Laurie, you are the final caller tonight for Mormonism Live. You are on the air with RFM and Bill Real. Uh, what what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? Um, yeah, so the energy work specifically as it pertains to perhaps representing a woman's um, spiritual power. Um, and I'm asking this. I have a friend who a couple of years ago when I was still in the church but struggling greatly over women's issues, I expressed some of this to her tentatively because she's a very true believer, father, a bishop, and the whole deal. Um, and she described to me this family reunion where she and her cousins and her aunts had all got together, the women of the family, and just had this beautiful experience doing what sounded to me, knowing not a lot about energy work, like energy work, like discovering blockages and releasing them and healing traumas and so forth. And then like the capstone of that, at the end of the family reunion, they all had priesthood blessings from, of course, male members of the family. And so she didn't struggle with the male only priesthood because she saw it as this beautiful fusion of the woman's spiritual power in what seems very much to me this energy work piece, combi combining them with these amazing priesthood blessings at the end of the reunion. Um, and so I, I would love to ask her, like, if she's, you know, she knows about this handbook change. I'm I don't know if she does, and I'm a little too scared to ask her because our friendship feels a little precarious at this point. But, but I don't. I don't know. What my question is, and that just do you, um, do you see it as something that members maybe saw as a balancing of women's and men's spiritual power, and how how gendered is the whole issue? Yeah, in your opinion. Perfect. I'll hang up with you and we'll respond. And uh, appreciate your calling the show. For sure. Thanks. So my first thought is yes. I think. RFM, you probably agree that most, I bet the far and wide majority of energy workers tend to be females. That's what I'm picking up on right now. Yeah. And I think there's a reason for that, yeah. that if the, the patriarchy will not give them the priesthood to heal and will not allow them to give blessings as was done by women in the early days of the church, then they will go out and claim their own healing power, which will be separate and apart from the priesthood. 
And hence, this handbook change is another piece of patriarchy putting its thumb down on the female membership of the church and categorizing them as something less than faithful, less than orthodox, less than kosher with, with Mormonism's rules and regulations. And hence, again, just another example of patriarchy um, extending its influence. Yeah, I see them as sort of creating a problem that they are now exacerbating. Yeah. Um, and and as I think Wendy's going to point out in her quote that you're going to read next week, hopefully, again, if Wendy wants to call, she's welcome to. It would be great if she read it or said it in her own words. Yeah, that would be. But this idea that there are lots of practices that either are equal in power to priesthood or greater than. And when you take people and say, you can't use those, if you do, we'll look down on you. You stop people from having access to things that work, even if it's the placebo effect of things that work in their life and give them positive benefit. And I can't understand for the life of me, unless you're going to say that Satan is the author of those practices. If that's not the truth, that's not the case. I see no harm in allowing people to have positive benefits of these practices in their life. Um, it seems a strange thing that Mormonism is so, so bothered by this stuff that it has to do something. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not negating the fact that people like Julie Rowe or others get involved in this arena and do take advantage of others. I think that's always going to happen. But if, if we're going to stop people from getting taken advantage of, then we should have Mormonism be illegal as well. There's a lot of statements that they make, which sound like they're unaware of how easily it could be turned back on them. We'll get to a few of those uh, next week. But also, also we'll get to the little section on the occult because they actually do say it's of Satan. So there you go. That yeah. that would be the reason. Um, hmm. And okay. I, think the, I think the implication here in the handbook, though it's not specifically stated, is that if you do this, then something worse than just being looked down on may happen to you vis-a-vis -vis your membership in the church. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll explore this further next week on, yes. on Mormonism Live. RFM, any closing comments or thoughts from you? No, this has been so much fun, Bill. I will tell you, you know, I used to be in a number of shows when I was younger, in uh, musicals especially, and in plays. And I was saying to my fiance the other night, I said, do you know how great it is to finally once again be able to look forward to doing a show? It's wonderful. Look at that. I love it. Uh, for the folks out there viewing or uh, listening here, maybe tomorrow or sometime here in the near future, throw out your doTERRA oils. You can't use those anymore. You have to throw out your essential oils. You can't use those anymore. Uh, but next week, RFM and I will continue the conversation here on the handbook changes. Uh, we appreciate each of you. If you can donate, please. RFM, yes. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you no, while you were calling for donations. That was a huge mistake on my part. Continue. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. My chiropractor watches the show. His name is Dr. M.D. E-M-D-E. It's Dr. M.D. He's a chiropractor. He's wonderful, but it drives him crazy when he sees you self-adjusting your neck, Bill. I just wanted to pass that along. I've you been need crack to I know I've been cracking my neck since I was eight years old or so. Since you need to go see a professional. You shouldn't be doing that to yourself. I know. It just makes me feel better. It starts to hurt, and I, then I crack it, and I feel better. Yeah. So he, he doesn't want me doing that. Folks, yeah. if, if you're enjoying the program, please donate. It 
it does help us to keep this going. Go to mormonismlive.org. Also, join the conversation at the Mormonism Live Facebook page. Uh, you can also view these episodes on YouTube uh, and Facebook for the most part, but they're also available on Twitch, Periscope, um, and I think we even have a presence on Twitter now. So uh, go there and take a look and uh, see what you see, and hopefully you're enjoying the program. I'm Bill Real, And I'm Radio Free Mormon. Like us, follow us, share us with your friends, because uh, – and if you don't have any friends, share this program with them anyway, and they'll become your friends. Yeah. And thank you. This is Mormonism Live. Until next time, see you guys later. Good night, everybody.